Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Um, hope you enjoyed some good food and fellowship with family and friends. But even, even more importantly, I hope, I hope you had a thankful heart. <clears throat> I hope you were deeply thankful this Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, I don't know all the roots of it, but it is quintessentially a, very much a Christian kind of celebration. Um, if you read through the Bible, even just on a cursory level, you see over and over and over again this theme of gratitude and of giving thanks and of having a thankful heart. And in our culture today, that doesn't seem like there's anything more countercultural than that, than, than, than being a, someone who's overflowing with gratitude, overthrow, overflowing with giving thanks, with all the fighting, whether it be politically or this group or that group, race fighting and all of that. To be someone who is so aware and is able to turn outside of themselves and so aware of the God from whom every good and perfect gift comes and to offer up thanks and praise to him for that is that's very, it's very Christian, it's very countercultural and let's just, let's not celebrate it one day, but let's just be very, very thankful people all the time, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Thanksgiving is rooted in our understanding that God is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness or his steadfast love endures forever. All right, so let's offer up a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, which is the fruit of lips that gives thanks. Well, we are, we're going to address this passage again. We did last week, but it's such a thick text uh, which talks about a very well-known subject, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, there's a guy named Matthew Henry. He's probably best known for, he did a commentary on the entire Bible. He was an 18th century pastor. And he, like I said, he did a commentary on every book from Genesis to Revelation of the Bible. He once said, it is a great happiness to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is a great happiness, not moderate happiness, it's not okay, it is a great happiness to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And anyone here who's ever been under the influence of the Spirit, and hopefully it's not kind of hit and miss and mostly miss, but anyone here who knows what that's like, you know exactly what he's talking about. It is a great happiness to be under the Spirit's influence. And in one sense, that is the Christian life. Once we are saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ alone, right? We trust in Jesus and we are made righteous in God's sight by faith alone in Christ. And we are free in God's sight from the oppression of the law and from God's wrath and all of that. Once, Once we receive Christ, once we enter into this grace, How do we then live? We live life in or by the Spirit. We live under the influence or under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's what this text is all about. And I think this might be the key. Once we are saved by God's grace through Christ, what he accomplished for us, the it is finished of Jesus, once that becomes ours by faith, how do we live? This is the key for how we now live. I think this is why, or a lack of understanding of what this text says, is why for many Christians, 
there's these wild swings up and down and here and there. It is because we don't understand. This is not a knock, but we just we need to grow in our understanding that the life we now live is not primarily, it is certainly, we use our minds, but it's not primarily a cerebral, get our doctrines in, an, in order and try to do it. But we live in the power and life of the Spirit. <clears throat> so this is not a charismatic, non-charismatic issue. It is a biblical issue. Here's what Paul says in, in Galatians 3. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected or making progress or growing into maturity in the flesh? In other words, by human effort, mere human effort, I should say. So life as a Christian is all about walking in the spirit, or as Matthew Henry said, knowing the happy experience of living under the influence of the spirit. And it's not just, it doesn't mean life is always hunky-dory, doesn't mean everything's easy. In fact, sometimes things get more challenging when we want to live under the influence of the Spirit and walk with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. And Jesus said that. To walk on the narrow road is going to be hard. But this is where there is joy. We're going to see later. And the fruit of the Spirit is abounding in our lives. And when we look at this later, the, the fruit of the Spirit, these are things we all long for. We want these things, and yet we can't attain them on our own, but we need the Spirit. So, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It sounds kind of strange, but it's what the Christian life is. It's living in the power of another person. Right? There's not really a human parallel to this. Living in the strength and power of another person person or walking by the strength and power of another person. But that's what Paul commands us to do here twice. In verse 16, he says, but I say, walk by the spirit. And then in verse 25, he says the same thing. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Or if you have the NIV, it says, keep in step with the spirit. If we live by the spirit, let's also walk by him or keep in step with him. So this is something we are commanded to do, and yet we're commanded to live in the power of someone else. So it sounds kind of strange. So what I want to do is, Paul commands us to do this, but then he spends a lot of the rest of the passage, really verses 17 to 24, telling us about the Holy Spirit's work. And so what I want to do is I want to answer the question, how do we walk by the Spirit, by looking at two things, all right? In two ways, or two parts, you might say. First, I want to look at what the Spirit does. The Spirit's ministry. We need to know what He's up to. What's His agenda? We don't make up His agenda for Him. We don't tell Him what we want Him to do. What does He do in the life of a Christian? This this text tells us. And then, 
How do we live in response or in faith to what the Spirit does, to the Spirit's ministry? So, let's, let's first look at the Spirit's ministry. There's two things the Spirit does that Galatians 5, 16 to 25 shows us. The first thing is, the Spirit, this is so important. This is so important. We need, we need to just be humble and receive this today, okay? The Spirit leads us into conflict with the flesh. The Spirit leads the Christian, not the baby Christian, not once you get, once you get to junior high level Christian, the, ba- the, 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 the Holy Spirit, as we say the baby, the Holy Spirit leads the Christian into conflict with the flesh. Verse 17 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, I think something needs to be asked right away, or or, uh, something needs to be clarified immediately. What is the flesh? The flesh is not our physical bodies. What Paul means by flesh is the old, self-reliant, self-absorbed, unbelieving me. It's the you and me, if you believe in Christ, it's the me that was crucified with Jesus, but not completely obliterated. And sometimes he comes back to life, and sometimes we try to resurrect him and all of that. And you know, So that's, that's what it means by flesh. How many know, at times, we still desire what is not good? I'm the only, there's only a few of us. Okay. Well, there, okay. We still desire things that are not good. What is that? That's the desires of the flesh. So Paul says here, that is the desires of the flesh. Regarding the flesh, there are two deadly errors that I think we need to sort out as well that we ought to avoid like the plague. Okay, the first error regarding the flesh is this, saying something like this or thinking this. Well, I am nothing more than just a lousy worm saved by grace and I can never expect to have any success against the flesh or not much. I will never get over this tendency to get angry or this struggle with lust or pornography or whatever it might be. If you read the New Testament, you would never come to that conclusion. Right? You would never come to that conclusion. We have conflict against the flesh. But Paul clearly says if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't gratify them. So, we can expect to have success in our conflict or in our battle against the flesh. Here's the other error, though. It is saying or thinking, thinking, and then perhaps saying, I have reached a place, a very safe place, a place of such victory, far beyond the conflict, that I am now unconcerned completely about the flesh. Again, you would never get that when you read through the New Testament. You certainly don't get that in this passage. 
there is conflict. There is war going on. In the Christian, one Christian, one person, there is the Spirit opposing the flesh and the flesh opposing the Spirit. And I think we all intuitively, we know this. We, f- we feel this battle raging. At times, it's, we feel it big time. Other times, not so much. But we know this. We know this battle's going on. Now, both of these errors take a truth and run way too far with it. Right? The first error takes the truth that we do, have, we do contend against the flesh still and runs way too far with it. The second error takes the victory we have with Christ, the right standing we have with Christ, by God's grace, we're made righteous in His sight, and I think takes that too far. In the Christian, we, there is the spirit warring against the flesh and the flesh warring against the spirit. But verse, so verse 16 doesn't say we won't have desires of the flesh. Notice that. It doesn't say walk by the spirit and you won't have desires of the flesh. It doesn't say that. It says walk by the spirit and you won't gratify them. You won't give in to them. You won't live them out. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2.11. He says abstain from fleshly or from passions of the flesh. The word passions here, it's the same as desires. It's the same Greek word. Abstain from the desires of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So Paul wants us to know that we are in a war and the Spirit is leading us into this war. Right? The word opposition in verse 17 signifies that these are hostile adversaries going at each other. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are not on friendly terms. The Holy Spirit hates the desires of the flesh. And we would be wise to receive this wisdom from Him that, and grow in our and ask Him to give us a holy hatred for our sin and the desires of the flesh. Therefore, the Holy Spirit leads us into conflict with the desires, these desires that are still a part of our old self, still a part of the self that didn't want Jesus, that was self-absorbed, self-determined, and unbelieving. Paul in Romans 8.13 makes this same connection. Listen to what Paul says. He says, If by the Spirit you, it's by the Spirit, but you put to death, the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. See that connection he makes? So the Spirit leads us into this fighting and killing even the deeds of the flesh. And then he says, this is what it means to be led by the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit are truly sons of God. We are led into this conflict we don't lay down arms. We don't wave the white flag. And we do sometimes, but we, we ought not to. By the Spirit, Paul says, put to death 
violence even. We should treat our old self, our sinful desires, our sinful works with deadly force, because that's what the Spirit does, not with sympathy. This is where the Spirit leads. And we, if we would walk by the Spirit, must follow Him there. We dare not declare ceasefire with the flesh. And lest we take this idea too lightly, like, oh, you're making too much of this. This sounds too serious. Paul gets more serious. Here's what Paul says in verses 19 through 21. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Everyone say evident. Obvious. Oh, you don't have to say that. Okay, well, (laughs) repeat after me. All right. So the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And then he just says, and things like these. But then Paul gets lovingly in our face. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live after the flesh or according to the flesh, those who give in habitually and live in the power of the flesh, those who, that's their lifestyle, that's how they live, rather than by the Spirit, they live by the flesh. Paul says, it doesn't get any more serious. Those who do that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? It is a matter of eternal life, eternal death. It matters that we follow the Spirit in this conflict. And when Paul says those who do such things, what he means is those who practice or make or live according to. Maybe I should put it that way. Those who practice the things of the flesh or live according to the flesh and its desires It will lead to destruction, ultimate destruction, eternal destruction, cast away from the presence of God forever. So it's not a light or insignificant thing. The desires of the flesh are a deadly enemy and should be treated as such. The Holy Spirit, one of his ministries that we see in this text, is he leads us into conflict with the flesh. But he does something else too. And we love this passage. And we should. These verses. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit. The fruit of deep and lasting heart change in us. He gives us the... He changes our hearts with deep and lasting fruit. Verses 22 and 23. After going through the desires of... Or the the works of the flesh. He says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, and against such things, there is no law. There's no law prohibiting you from doing these things. 
There's no external coercion to make you do these things. These are, this is the fruit of the Spirit inside of us. Remember Galatians 3, how it says, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit now lives in us, in our hearts, producing these things. In the life of every Christian, he's producing love, self-control, and everything in between. Now, notice just a few things about these two verses. First, it says fruit. Now, he contrasts the work of the flesh, or works of the flesh, and fruit of the Spirit. I don't know why he didn't say work of the Spirit and work of the flesh, but he said he changes metaphors. It's works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And I, I think it has something to do with this. It's, it's not just that the Spirit inspires us to do certain things, right? Kind of like a, a sudden spurt of energy, like drink a Red Bull and go and work out or something. Like that's what the Spirit does. He just gives us this sudden burst of energy to do something. He certainly can do that. But this fruit is deep, inward change at the deepest level of our being. I mean, think about this love. He produces in us agape love, this sacrificial, um, other people-centered kind of love. And he does that in people who before were just absolutely self-absorbed. This takes a deep, ongoing, miraculous work of the Spirit. And that's what he's up to in our lives. Fruit signifies a long period of time, right? This is something that God is doing over a long period of time. You don't just, I mean, you get this bunch of fruit, but it grows over time, right? It's fruit. You don't go look at an apple tree one day and there's nothing there, and the next day apples are nice and ready and plump and ready to eat. If you go to my house, you see no apples ever. I mean, they just never grow at our home. I'm not sure why, but... Um, but a nice, healthy apple tree, they grow over time, months. And the fruit of the Spirit grows in our life over the course of our life. I also think Paul talks about, when he, when he talks about fruit, it's, these are, these, um, he's talking about a life that's defined not primarily by what we do, but by these inward virtues God produces what's, what pleases him in our hearts first, and then this leads to the outworking of it, right? I mean, I, w- I would never want to say that these are only inward changes that never make their, never show on our face or on, through our hands or anything like that. Of course they do. But they are deep inward changes by the Spirit. And think about this. Love for selfish people. Joy for grumpy and sad people. Peace for fearful and anxious people. Does anyone want these? Patience for easily agitated, short-tempered people. Kindness for rude people. Gentleness for rough people. People, 
Faithfulness for disloyal people. Goodness for people who can be cruel and mean. Self-control for rash and unstable people. The Spirit is at work to beautify us from the inside out. To make us... 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we, we go from one degree of glory to another as we behold Christ. As we behold him, we go from one degree of glory to another, right? We're, there's this gradual, incremental increase in Christ-likeness. And this is where Paul shows us God is producing these fruits, the, this fruit in us, and it grows up and grows and grows and grows, and he beautifies us so we look more and more like Christ. So this is the ministry of the Spirit, right? He, he leads us into a war against the flesh, and he produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, which is this deep, inward, beautiful heart change. So how do we walk in the Spirit's strength? So that the flesh is put to death, and the beautiful spiritual fruit of the Spirit grows in bunches and bunches in our life. That's what we want, right? Is there any Christian who does not want that? Then you need Jesus. If you don't, you need him. Well, first, we need to recognize it is a walk. It's a walk. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. He doesn't say arrive. He says, walk by the Spirit. It's a walk. It is taking one step after the other. It is a life. There are no shortcuts. We do not arrive at a place. I mean, of course, God takes us, and we, I shouldn't say we don't arrive. We don't arrive at completion until Christ comes. So we're always this work in progress, and so we learn to walk by the Spirit. It is a walk. The Spirit is taking us somewhere. He's leading the way. And we also need to recognize it is a walk with a person. Not some ethereal energy source. It is a walk with a person, which I think means if we are going to befriend the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which we ought to, right? If we're going to befriend the Spirit, we need to learn to recognize that He's here. Recognize his presence with us and in us. Jesus said to his disciples in in his Last Supper discourse, he says, you know the Holy Spirit. He's been with you, right, alongside you, and he will be in you. So we need to learn to recognize that he's with us. We need to, to turn our attention away from the screaming and all the noise and give him our attention. And recognize that he's with us. And that we are, we're walking by the Spirit, but not, again, not just as, as this energy that kind of like this Red Bull, we drink this, we walk by the Spirit. No, we're walking with a person. He's not external to you. He is indwelling. It's very clear. Any relationship requires attention and recognition to each other's presence. 
any good, healthy relationship requires this. Richard Lovelace, who wrote a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, said this, the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between a husband and a wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof, and the husband makes constant use of the wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her. He doesn't recognize her presence, and he doesn't celebrate their relationship with her. Yikes. Let's not do that. Let's repent even today, even right now, if that's been our relationship with the Spirit. Let's treat the Holy Spirit the way Jesus did, as precious, as powerful, as necessary, as indwelling, as a friend, as a helper, as a comforter. Let's treat him this way and and let's Let's pay attention to him. Verse 25 helps to shed more light on walking by the Spirit. Here's what the New English Bible, here's how the New English Bible uh, paraphrases, paraphrases verse 25. It says, If the Spirit is the source of your life, let him also be, excuse me, let him also direct your course. If the Holy Spirit is the source of our life, let him also direct our course. The NIV says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is the source of our life. Therefore, we should let Him direct our course or chart our course, or we should seek to keep in step with Him. When Paul says, keep in step, he's really talking about following orders. The Greek term for keeping in step, which is stoikomen, is a military term. And it means to stay in formation. Right? First, the soldiers would line up in rank and file. Then, in order to maintain good military discipline, they would stay in line as they marched. And a good soldier was not so much concerned like, I wonder if my commanding officer knows where he's going. A good soldier. Right? Or, I don't don't know, I think he's supposed to go right here. Is he doing this right? No, he has one concern, to keep in step. That's it. He wants to keep in step with the leader. And it's the same with us. We don't have to be worried about, well, geez, is everything going to turn out okay if the Spirit leads the way? And oftentimes, that's where the rubber meets the road. I'm not sure I can trust him. I want control. I want to chart my own course. There is the Invictus in every single one of us, right? I am the captain of my ship, the master of my domain. That's me. And we need to learn to let that go and keep in step with the Spirit. Let him lead the way. We just need to keep in step. 
Now, what's this practically look like? Well, there are a few non-negotiables if a relationship's going to be healthy, if this relationship's going to be healthy. There's at least three. I thought of three non-negotiables about how we keep in step with the Spirit, how we march in step with Him, one foot after the other. And it's this. Listen, speak, and obey. Listen, speak, and obey. Listen. Listen to God speak. Could you imagine our best friend? We have no ear for him. No, I have no ear. Imagine me saying, my best friend, hey, when's the last time you guys talked? Man, I can't remember the last time we talked. In fact, I I don't remember the last, I don't remember talking, I don't remember hearing from him for the last 10 years. Say, well, that's not really a good friend. We need to listen to God speak. And I want to suggest primarily, though not exclusively, primarily through the scriptures. Primarily through the scriptures. Listening to the voice of God through the scriptures. That's what it is. I hope you know that. The Bible is not a bunch of merely words on a page. Paul says in Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we need to fill our minds with the things of the Spirit. We need to fill our minds with His words. We need to listen to what God says. And I just, boy, if I could somehow, like, pour and teach one of our minds and hearts just this understanding that when we open the scriptures, we are opening up the God-breathed scriptures. Right? We're opening up, God is speaking to us. Second, Second Peter 1, 21, Peter says that no writer of scripture, scripture they didn't just kind of come up with this on their own but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. The Holy Spirit was carrying them along as they recorded what he had given them to write. So we need to listen. We need to listen. We need to, again, we should should always be thinking about the Scripture. We should always be listening to what the Spirit may want to tell us, spontaneously or whatever. But there ought to be times as well when we, we shut out the noise, And we get alone with our friend, the Holy Spirit, and listen to what he has to say. Second, we speak. We listen and we speak. We speak back to God in prayer. I'm reading this book by Tim Keller right now, and he says that prayer is an ongoing conversation. God speaks to us primarily through his word again. God speaks to us and we speak back to him. And we ought to get in the habit of doing this. Speaking back to God in prayer. Two prayers the Lord loves to hear and loves to answer is this. Oh God, make me more like your son Jesus. By the power of your spirit, make me more like your son Jesus. God, make me more like your son. And the second prayer is empower me to obey you. Give me strength and power to do What pleases you? Are those too simple? 
simple's good for me. What else? I mean, what's God's aim for our lives? It's to make us more like Jesus. Right? And how are we to live life here on earth? It's we are to believe and obey him. Both of these prayers put the Holy Spirit to work because he makes us more like Christ and he gives us power to live for God. So we listen, we speak, and we obey. And I want to focus on one way to obey, love. We love. How do we, remember earlier in Galatians 5, how do we, how is the, the entire law fulfilled? By loving. How do we obey God? By loving our neighbor. By loving the person in front of us. Now, when Paul goes through the fruit of the Spirit here and says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I think he didn't do this, and I'm not trying to say I know better than Paul. I, I certainly do not. But I think he could have said the fruit of the Spirit is love. He joins it with other fruits as well. But, but just a few verses earlier, Paul says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. He says, this is how you fulfill the entire law. It's by loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul says this, love is patient. And here in Galatians 5, he says, patience is one of the fruits. Paul says, love is kind. And yet kindness is one of the fruits here. It's almost as if love is first, because it's most important, it's preeminent, it's supreme, but it also kind of engulfs and swallows up all the other ones. You might say love is, love is patient, love is kind, love is joyful, love is peaceful. And so we, we listen to God speak, we speak back to God, and then we just obey Him by loving people, giving ourselves fully and always to love. This is the essence of the Spirit-empowered life. This is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of it. And when you think of our central problem, it makes perfect sense. We are born narcissists, every single one of us, turned inward on ourselves. I have five kids, five for five, each one of them, were born thinking the world revolved around them. I, th- I think that's just a human trait. I think that's just part of our fallen nature. I'm sure my mom and dad would say I was born that way too. We are born narcissists. And so when the Holy Spirit has his way in our lives, he turns us outward, right? We're turned in ourselves, he turns us outward to the people around us for the sake of Christ in the power of the Spirit because we have the Abba Father in our hearts crying out to God. We love other people and even more so other children of God who, have the same, who has the same Spirit crying to the same Father and the same Savior. Savior. 
as we walk by the Spirit, keeping in step with Him, listening, believing, obeying His voice, and speaking to Him in prayer, little by little, He wrenches us free. Sometimes lot by lot, but but oftentimes just little by little, He wrenches us free from our self-absorption. He turns us outward with a heart of compassion to those around us. This is how we're to live. In His strength. By His power. And when we live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, there will be much fruit. Paul says, against such things, against fruit like this, there's no law. The law doesn't apply to those who bear fruit like this. It doesn't apply. Listen to what Martin Luther said. He says, the law is not given for the righteous man. A true Christian conducts himself in such a way that he does not need any law to warn or restrain him. He obeys the law without compulsion. Isn't that what Paul's talking about here? The Holy Spirit producing this fruit in our life? We don't need external coercion and compulsion. You better do this. The Holy Spirit's written the law in our hearts and he's producing a life of love in us. Martin Luther goes on to say, as far as the Christian is concerned, there would not have to be any law. Do you want to flourish and grow? Do you want to flourish and grow? Do you want to flourish and grow in Christ, living, as Matthew Henry said, in the great happiness of being under the influence of the Spirit? He is your source of life. Then keep in step with Him. Keep in step with Him. He he wants you to more than you want to. He's He's not like this mean drill sergeant who's like running way ahead of the people and they can't keep up with him. He's so gentle and so patient and so kind and so loving. I mean, he, he reveals to us the heart of Christ. And that's what, exactly what Christ was like, right? He had, Christ had a bunch of knuckleheads following him for three years. And that makes me feel really good because I'm just like them. And the Holy Spirit wants us to keep in step with him. So let's do. Let's do. Why don't we pray? Let's ask the the Father to grant us this morning fresh encounter and fresh filling of his spirit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your purpose in our lives. It is for your eternal glory and it is for our eternal good. All that you give us was purchased through Christ. And so we don't come begging you as though our begging can pull down the treasury of heaven, as it were. But we come to you because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And Father, I ask that you would fill us afresh today with your spirit, that you would put in us a willing heart, 
This thought just comes, comes to me. We sang this, I think we sang a song earlier that said something about joy of every longing heart. Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is, will fill every longing and willing heart. So, Father, I pray that you would make us willing and make us longing and, and then fill every willing and longing heart with your Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you'd give us um, a, a Spirit-inspired determination and resolution to keep in step with Him, listening to His voice, speaking to you, and seeking to obey by loving the next person we run into. And God, I pray for bunches and bunches of glorious, beautiful, Christ-honoring fruit to be born in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.